Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 42. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today I'm going to be answering a few questions I've been getting around bonds. And you might say, well, we've talked about bonds before, but once again, they're in the news. We have negative interest rates around the world. We've got some, I've seen online, some investors saying, hey, we think rates are going much lower. So we want to see which ETFs would move the most and things like that. And then what types of bonds actually will be affected most by interest rate changes and which ones aren't. And so there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And I think there's some things that people miss and there's some a lot of things that people get correct. And so I thought I'd take uh, this episode to just go through a couple things. Uh, I will actually talk a little bit about duration. Duration is one of those things that tell you for the next 100 basis point change or 1% change up or down of interest rates, what would you expect your bonds market value to uh, make or lose. Talk a little bit about convexity. Convexity is pretty complicated. Uh, I'm not going to go through the formula and things like that. That would require a little bit more visuals. And quite honestly, we'd have to have Excel for that, as you wouldn't want to do that by hand. It's quite a long formula, or at least uh, it's not long. It's just uh, a little little confusing. Better for a visual than a podcast, but I'll, I'll explain a little bit about that. And then uh, just with regards to there are some bonds that even if interest rates go down, uh, their rate of acceleration up might be stopped in its tracks. Um, and same thing for a bond where the yields are going up and you'd expect it to continue to lose value. Uh, there's a certain condition where it actually stops losing value. So without uh, further ado, let's kind of get into it. The first thing is, look, I mean, we've most of the world at this point, I say most, uh, Europe, Japan, and uh, you know many, many other countries, let's say, uh, well, Europe's a region, right? But Japan, uh, they have negative interest rates. So if you want to buy a bond, a two-year bond in Switzerland right now, you, you're essentially paying a little bit under 1% to the government of Switzerland to lend them money. I know it sounds crazy. And I'll link to an episode we did that actually covered, I called it wacky negative yielding bonds. And I'll link to that if you want to get more in depth into how that works, who would buy those, and things like that. We are also seeing, if you watch CNBC or you watch Bloomberg or Fox Business or read some of the articles, there is a growing feeling that the Federal Reserve may eventually lower rates back towards levels that they started, you know, they got to after the 2008 financial crisis. And there's been some talk, you know, uh, bonds are one of those things, normally you don't think of them, uh, think of them very, as very risky. Um, and, you know, a lot of people use, let's say, in a 60-40 portfolio, they might use those uh, as a non-correlating asset. But many people may not realize the risk that's inherent in bonds due to changes in interest rates. Not only that, but if you have a, a growing chorus of people who feel like rates are going lower, I've seen comments online, hey, what's the, uh, what's the type of bond ETF that I would make the most money in if I'm right and rates went down? And obviously there's an inverse to that. If you're wrong and rates go higher, it will also hurt you a little bit more. And so when we think about bonds, there are you know, generally treasuries. So those are U.S. treasuries. Uh, those are issued by the federal government. Uh, the risk-free rate, meaning the 
The bond that really essentially has no risk uh, is always considered the 90-day T-bill or the three-month T-bill. And then as you go further out, as I'll explain, those have interest rate risk. Of course, if you go over to Europe, you can buy Swiss uh, government bonds. You can buy uh, you know, German bonds, which is the German uh, bond. Uh, you can go to Japan, buy their government bonds. And so those are generally called sovereign bonds or sovereign debt. You have corporates, and corporates are issued by, guess what, corporations. And those are issued normally as, a, as part of their, their capital structure to raise capital. And that goes into their weighted average cost of capital. You have municipals, so if a local city, or let's say a state, but let's say a city, you know, they want to redo the sewers or their roads, they might issue a bond. Uh, sometimes they issue bonds that are tied to revenue of a project, or other ones are just called general obligations. General obligations just mean the funding or the the payback of the, uh, let's say, the semi-annual interest payments, and eventually the uh, the principal on the bond. Uh, those are just taken out of tax revenue, where if it's a revenue bond, maybe they build a stadium and they say, hey, we're going to use the revenues from this particular project to pay it back. There's also mortgage bonds or mortgage MBS or mortgage-backed securities, right? And mortgage bonds essentially are, think about a bunch of mortgages, you you throw them together, you package them, and you issue a bond, and the cash flows are tied to the the, the rate of interest that people are paying on their mortgages. And so those are actually, I'll get to those, but those are actually interesting because they have a little bit of a different uh, aspect to them as rates go lower. So all of those uh, that I mentioned are, are generally the ones that you know come up. And when we think about interest rates, there's something called uh, duration. And I want you to think about duration not as hey, this bond got issued and it expires in 30 years, so the duration is 30 years. That is correct. The maturity is in 30 years. And so you, you would say the bond has a life cycle of 30 years, uh, and that would be correct. But when we think about duration, there's things like Macaulay duration and modified duration. And duration is calculated, and it's actually used to see how sensitive a bond is uh, to a, to a change in you know let's let's call it a you know one percent move in interest rates, so duration is one of those ways that you can figure out whether or not or what the risk is, how high the risk is, and you can also compare one bond versus another with regard to hey how will these two bonds differ and how they change uh, based upon or the market values will change based upon changes in interest rates. Give you an example. If we pull up, let's say we pull up two bonds, they each will be issued at the same time. They each will mature in exactly 10 years. And we look at one bond that has a coupon of 10%, meaning they pay 10% annually. Basically, you know, they get, you get paid twice. So 5% uh, for the first six months, 5% for the second six months. And then you look at another bond, same origination date, same maturity date but that bond is only paying 2% annually. So if we calculate the duration, something like a modified duration on that, the bond at the 10-year bond with a 10% coupon, uh, when interest rates, by the way, they're required are 10%, so new bonds, the interest rates haven't changed, you would say the modified duration is a little bit over six years. So 6.23 is what I come up with. 
That means if tomorrow that bond changed, interest rates went up 1% or 100 basis points, uh, we would expect that bond to lose a little over 6% in value. And vice versa, if interest rates dropped, that bond would, would gain in value. The bond with a 2% coupon would have a modified duration slightly over nine years. And so the bond with 2% coupons paying less interest actually has more interest rate sensitivity, meaning if that bond saw interest rates rise 100 basis points or, or 1%, uh, you would expect that bond to lose about 9%. And so one of the takeaways, there's two factors that raise duration. Number one is uh, the longer the, the till maturity, the number of years or the amount of time until maturity. And the second part is the level of interest or the, the coupon rate. And then, of course, what the market rate for a like bond is. Meaning, let's say that if, uh, if our 2% bond interest rates went down, and so uh, interest rates go down um, to 1%, and let's say in our other bond, interest rates went up. Well, if interest rates went up, the modified duration would go down uh, to a little under six years. And if interest rates went down in the second one, it would go up a little bit. And so one of the things that we'll see is, and this gets into convexity, you can't necessarily say, hey, I know what the modified duration is. Let's go back to our original example, uh, the 2% bond. If my modified duration is nine years, you can say, okay, with some confidence, if interest rates go up or down 1%, that's about what I'll make or lose. But it's not linear, meaning you can't say, hey, if interest rates change 10%, do I just do I say I made or lose 90%? And the answer is no, and the reason is you have something called convexity. And convexity is a really fancy way of saying um, for each, let's say, if interest rates change, the rate of change on the change in the market value or how much the market value moves actually gets a little bit different. And so if you could see a chart, if you kind of drew a, uh, if you looked at a piece of paper and drew a straight line, perfectly straight line from the top left corner down to the bottom right corner, if if you could, uh, if you were able to just say, hey, if rates change 10%, you would be somewhere on that line and you would know what the m- new market value is. But what happens is if you imagine you drew a line that looked like, you know, imagine you looked at a straight line and then you looked at a line that was more like a, a saucer or a bowl where the top left was a you know, kind of uh, uh, imagine you put a bowl on a straight line, right? <laughs> on a table. So it, interest rates, as they change, uh, you have something called convexity. And so you can't always know with a perfect certainty without doing the calculations because the duration will sort of stop um, accelerating the same way and stop decelerating the other way. All right. Um, that's probably more of a visual thing, but just understand if you take nothing else away from it, just understand that you know bonds duration is not how many years to maturity. Bonds duration is sensitivity to changes in interest rates, i.e., what the you'll make or lose on that bond when the market value changes, and then know that as interest rates change, uh, the amount that bonds go up or down also changes, and that's called convexity. All right. There's a couple of things, though, that sort of alter the, the equation. So when you price a bond, a bond is based upon 
eventually getting paid back the principal, excluding defaults, and your cash flows. And so you have what's called a present value of those cash flows. And so when you, you're calculating that, uh, part of the, the calculation is how much interest you're getting paid back and, and things like that. Um, a zero coupon bond, which does not pay any cash flows because you basically buy it and you buy it at a discount. Well, in theory, you buy it at a discount unless you're dealing with negative rate bonds. But that aside, you buy this uh, 30-year bond and with no cash flows, no coupon, right? And so you buy it at a discount, and in 30 years, you get your principal back. And every year towards 30, it theoretically grows more and more. So those bonds would have a much higher duration. Those bonds, their duration would be equal to, generally, uh, the amount of time today until maturity. And so if you buy a brand-new zero-coupon bond, uh, or let's say a brand-new 10-year zero-coupon bond, its modified duration is going to be 10 years. Converse, and, and we just looked at two other examples where the duration was a little bit over six and a little over nine. And so um, that's one of the securities I've seen. I won't even you know mention really the the, the ticker, but it's uh, I'm seeing a lot of talk about, hey, I want to try and make the most money I can. So I'm going to buy this ETF that essentially is you know a long duration, zero coupon bond portfolio in municipals because that's going to have the highest change for every 1% change in interest rates. So when you do that, just understand that the higher the duration, if interest rates go against you, meaning if you're long this, you own it, and interest rates go up, um, that one's going to lose the most in value. And so you've got more interest rate risk in that security. A couple other notes on here. So there's something that's really interesting in that um, with that convexity, we know that duration tells us about what will happen to the market value of the bond uh, for a move up or down of you know 1%, and then that sort of readjusts the duration as you go up and down in interest rates. Um, those of you who are familiar with options, um, there's something called gamma, which tells you. So delta tells you for every one-point move in the stock or the underlying, what will the options premium change to? But you can't do like, hey, here's if it changes 10 points, I just times it by my delta. Because your delta will change as the market moves up or down. So those of you who are familiar with options, that might be interesting, uh, a way to, to think about bond convexity. So when we look at, uh, at bonds, there's a couple things that change the, the calculation with how a, uh, it changes in interest rates will change the underlying price of bonds. The one is, the first one is, if a bond has a, a callable feature, a call feature. And really that, what that means is, let's say you buy a corporate bond. There's no call features in treasuries and U.S. government bonds. But let's say you buy a corporate or a municipal bond, and the issuer puts on that bond a, a call provision. And what that means is uh, they have the ability, so essentially, remember, when you buy a bond, you're lending whatever issuer it is. You're lending the money, and they agree to pay you usually semi-annual payments um, for a number of years, and then they return the, the initial principal back, or should I say par value, and par value for a bond is a thousand bucks, right? So excluding default, you'll get, you know, you get your money back in however many years, but they put this call feature on there. It's a benefit to the issuer, and I'll explain why. Let's say that an issuer issues a bond, a 10-year bond at 7%, and then their ability to uh, uh, to go to the debt market 
means either interest rates have dropped precipitously, or let's say their rating as a company has increased, meaning you know the better the rating, the more le- their credit rating, the less interest they have to pay. So let's say they issue that 10-year bond at 6%, and three years in, interest rates, uh, their ability to borrow at 10 years is now 3%. It's kind of like refinancing your, your home. Um, not exactly because of the amortization, but um, a lot of people think of it that way. And so if they can go, if they can have a call feature, they can go in and pay off that 6% bond early and either just retire it um, or they can, they can, you know, sort of retire it and then simultaneously reissue new bonds, 10-year bonds at, you know, the 2 or 3%. And so normally it's a benefit for the issuer because they can issue the bond at the lower interest rate. Um, it's kind of a bummer to use a non-technical term. If you're holding a bond, you say, look, I like this company and I want to get 6% a year. Well, that stinks. They're going to call it away from me. And sometimes their call price is above par, meaning above 1000 But what that means is as interest rates go down, if there's a call feature, the acceleration or the, the change in market value up, normally interest rates go down, bond prices go up, that sort of gets thrown off a little bit because this corporation can call the bond. They have the option to call it away from you at a certain price. The inverse of that is something called a puttable bond. i got to be honest, I don't see very many of these. But a puttable bond it gives an option to the holder of the bond. Remember, a call means the issuer can take that bond away early. A puttable bond means the holder can actually uh, sort of sell it early but get some price back. And so if interest rates were going up, that would actually stop the acceleration. Um, these are, we start to get in the, the nitty gritty a little bit, but just understand those are two of the things that could change the normal uh, convexity or the normal graph of how a underlying bond will, will change based upon changes in interest rates. The other one, I mean, convertibles, a convertible bond is just simply normally, uh, you know, they're issued with the ability to convert a bond into shares of stock at a certain price. So it's kind of like an option. And those typically will pay less in interest rates because the holder has the right to, to do that. I think Tesla has some of those that are out there you can take a look at if you go to their uh, financial statements. Mortgage bonds are also interesting too in that a mortgage bond, now think about it this way, if rates go lower, what's going to happen? Well, people are going to refinance um, their, their home loan. And so imagine you have a a bond that's made up of all these mortgages and then interest rates go down. Well, normally interest rates go down, bond prices go up. But in this case, what you'll probably have happen is a lot of those um, mortgages will refinance and they'll get closed out early. So some people say mortgage bonds have negative convexity or um, but as or they they sort of resemble a little bit more of a callable bond. Uh, but those are an interesting uh, facet of, of, uh, of mortgage-backed bonds, let's say. So, you know, when we look at, uh, we look at bonds right now, and the reason why I did this too, we keep hearing about the yield curve inversion, about negative rates. You're hearing daily, if you watch CNBC, about, hey, should I go out and buy a bunch of long-term bonds? Because won't those go up the most if interest rates go down? And so, I just want you to understand the, the some of the risk in here, and there's a couple things. The longer the duration, the longer the modified duration, the more interest rate risk or opportunity that you have. 
So if you buy something that has a very long duration and interest rates go down, and let's say there's no call bulb feature or anything like that, you theoretically could have the, the most change in, in the underlying, the market, the market value. But conversely, if interest rates go up, then that same bond will also get hit more negatively because you've got more duration in that. And so that's one of the things I want you to understand. The other thing is this whole idea, it's not linear. You can't say, hey, I figured out, I know enough to figure out the duration on this thing. And what if rates change 3% or 4%? Can I just take that times the duration? The answer is no. Because after the bond changes, um, you you have these um, these different adjustments that are made so it's not a linear relationship. It's not that straight line from the top left to the bottom. It's more of a saucer in general. And then the other thing I would I would say on on these, uh, you know, as you're hearing a lot more. And by the way, I, I'm hearing more talk about bonds than I think I have in quite some time, and it's due to the interest rates. But one other thing I'll, I'll mention: with negative interest rates, it starts to get a little bit. Um, I don't know what the word is, but I'll just call it wacky again, because in theory, if you've got negative interest rates, your duration theoretically is greater than the maturity. Um, at least that's what some of the math does. But these start to get really wacky when you've got negative yield to maturity and and things like that. So, um, But that's why you're hearing some of these, if you hear talk on CNBC and they're saying, hey, I owned a bunch of sovereign bonds and rates went down, down, down. I've got all these gains on the portfolio. Well, in that case, because you had high duration, you had bonds going down. Um, I will say this uh, before we close out, though. And uh, this seems to be more people now are saying that they think that rates are going to go lower. And by the way, who knows what rates are going to be? The market, to some regards, handles the longer end of the curve much more. Um, You can look at Europe and you can look at negative rates in Europe and say, uh, maybe that puts puts pressure on the U.S. because um, if our rates are much higher, then the dollar is higher. Uh, but I'd be really careful, sort of trying to to, to predict this out too far, uh, because it, it always feels like the more people that come to a consensus on a position, the more chance there is that uh, that something will change. And uh, the fact that I've seen a little bit of an uptick in people searching and asking questions, hey. I think rates are going to go down. So what should I buy that will go up the most if rates go down? I think that's an interesting sign. Again, the, the best thing is, in my opinion, always, and I'll say this again, to to have a, a portfolio that has buffers and hedges and floors uh, in it. And so whatever it is that happens in the market, uh, you've got that protection on there. Uh, once again, uh, I'll just ask everybody, please share this. Uh, please send a link to uh, to someone that you know. That might benefit from this. We've got a, at this point, this is episode 42. We've got 41 back episodes that you can, a whole catalog of things and anything from fade on options to building hedges and portfolios. So there's a lot of content. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you would uh, take this link and, uh, and share it with somebody. If you want to rate and review, great, but I won't waste your time asking you to do that. Everybody does that. I'd rather you share it. All right. With that, we'll end here and we'll be back soon with uh, another episode next week.